You're listening to the Ship Bob Operator Series. Each week, your host, Casey Armstrong, e-com veteran, is joined by founders, operators, and insiders who are bringing along their stories and data to give you the exclusive inside scoop and tactics from those who have been there, done it, and gotten their hands dirty. You can tune in for a live recording Wednesdays. Head to operators.shipbob.com for the details. But until then, enjoy this audio replay. Hello, everybody. Welcome back again. This is episode number nine of our operator series. I'm very excited again by the guests we have today. Uh, we have Anastasia Allison, the founder and CEO of Cooler Clock, which is a reusable antimicrobial pea cloth uh, that eliminates toilet paper waste in the wilderness and uh, a very, very timely product for coronavirus <laughs> and people going crazy on buying toilet paper. And so we'll get to Anastasia in a minute. And then we have Lainey. Lainey, please help me if I mispronounce it. Dave Pasquale, which she is the director of digital at Copar Beauty. Uh, they are a leading beauty brand. They focus on coconut oil-based products, including deodorant, balm, cleansers, toners, a lot of other good stuff as well. So to, to kick things off like we did last week, I want to hear where everybody's dialing in from. I'm here in Orange County. Nick, Anastasia, Eleni, if you want to jump in as well. And I think Anastasia is going to even bust out the violin while we get where everybody's coming in from. Okay. So, and I also, for the record, am uh, north of Seattle. So that's where, that's where I'm <laughs> from. So oh, here we go. things really got bad at the beginning but oh. better late than never yes so, thank you and then we got some kopari shout outs in the in the comments as well well that was awesome thank you we've got people from all over we have people from internationally dialing in as well which is, which i love to see uh so as always i've got a bunch of questions we have a bunch of questions from all the registrants in advance and then please everybody chime in would love to get somebody on stage. Paul, I'm looking at you. Come I have back. a bet. I still have I have to win this bet. I, I know everyone saw today. I do have a bet with Casey. So I would love to win it. We're in episode nine heading into Memorial Day weekend. So if we can make that happen, that'd be fantastic. So and just we let can me know. another prize. Whoever asks the most questions, maybe they can get one of the, the coveted Bob sweaters as well. So let's jump in here. So Anastasia, I love the camp. I've got a couple little ones. Um, I've got my my oldest son on the the camping bandwagon with me. Would love to hear how'd you come up with this this idea. So I am a former park ranger and police officer turned full time entrepreneur. And many years ago, I started teaching a backpacking class at a women's backpacking workshop. 
And on my own personal backpacking trips, I was really frustrated. I would go out into these fragile alpine environments and I would just see these toilet paper blooms everywhere. So I started researching uh, leave no trace options and I found an article about people using a bandana as a pea cloth. And I thought that's disgusting, but I'm a backpacking instructor, so I'm gonna give it a try. So I bought this ugly old piece of fabric, started using it as a pea cloth and was stunned to find that it was totally life-changing in the backcountry. I wasn't having to pack in and out a ton of toilet paper. And then I also wasn't drip drying, not to get too TMI, but that's not comfortable when you're out in the backcountry for 10 days. So I, started carrying around this ugly old piece of fabric and I was on the Wind River High Route in Wyoming. And I was actually taking a photograph of my scrap of fabric uh, on my hiking pole as a joke to send to a friend. And in that instant, I had, it was like a lightning bolt moment. I just thought to myself, why isn't that a real piece of gear? And I was a police officer at the time. And I wondered, I wonder if I could design that. I didn't know how to sew. I had no experience starting a company whatsoever. And I went home, did a little bit of preliminary research and immediately talked myself out of it because I saw dollar signs and a lot of fear. Fast forward to 2017, I essentially had uh, a near-death experience and those tend to be pretty big wake up calls for people. And a lot of the fears that I realized were holding me in place from sort of pursuing the things I was excited about were all just manufactured in my head. And I said, you know what, what do I have to lose? I'm going to just try this thing out and see what I can come up with. And now here we are uh, a few years later, Kula has been around for two years now. I think we've shipped over 15,000 of them all over the world. This is what it looks like for anybody who's never seen one. We actually custom print the product. So one side of the fabric is a waterproof side. The other side is a antimicrobial absorbent side specifically designed for hygiene. So this side is meant to be beautiful. So you see it when it's attached to your backpack and you're hiking and you would squat to pee in the woods, use this side just to sort of pat dry. And then how the Kula is designed is that it snaps to your backpack and then also it double snaps in half and that will actually keep it clean so that it's not touching your pack or when you set it down on the ground, you aren't getting dirt all over it. And then one of the things I also noticed is that when I was backpacking with my little scrap of fabric, I would invariably wake up at two in the morning having to pee and I could never find it. I would have hung it in a tree somewhere to dry. And so we added some reflective thread on the Kula so that you can find it at night with your headlamp. And that's what this little stripe is here. So uh, yeah, it's been quite a journey and really, really fun. And now a lot of people are using them at home. So that's been interesting. <laughs> yeah, and I'd love to get deeper in that in a sec. And then Sean asked him the questions, uh, what's the fabric made out of? Yeah, so the fabric, it's, it's two different fabrics. So the outer fabric is a polyester fabric. The, we actually experimented with like bamboo and 
cotton, but those proved not to be durable enough for taking outside. The absorbent side is actually made of some absorbent, uh, it's bamboo fibers and cotton fibers as well. And then what makes it antimicrobial is that it has a silver treatment to it. So uh, not silver nanoparticles, it's actually silver ions without getting too technical. <laughs> And again, another question from Sean Spicer, not to be confused as the former uh, communications director of the White House, um, says, what's, what's the retail price? So the Artist Series Kula's retail for $22, and we give 15% of the profit to the artists themselves. We also do Kula's for a cause, and we give a portion of those products, uh, proceeds to nonprofits. And then our stock prints are $20 each. Awesome. And then a couple more. I, I like it. We're getting deep into the, the Kula cloth world. Things don't always go in this direction. So from Rachel, it doesn't become smelly? It doesn't. Um, now, that being said, everybody's body chemistry is different. So no product can claim to be completely odor proof. The antimicrobialness of the product does make it odor resistant. And I have people who use it and never notice anything. Now, if you were to take your nose and smush it into the Kula, which I would not recommend, you might notice a smell. But again, any sort of odor is going to depend on personal body chemistry and then also your hydration level. If you're super dehydrated out there hiking on the trail, there might be a different odor than if you're super hydrated. Perfect. Well, thank you. And then Shannon asks about manufacturing. John asks around advertising. Great questions. We're going to get to that in a minute. And then the last one from Elena, is it washable? It is. So you can throw it in your washing machine. If you do, make sure that you snap the snap so it doesn't get snagged. But what I usually recommend to people is just hand washing it. It literally takes two seconds in your sink. I use a some sort of a really gentle biodegradable soap like a Bronner's peppermint soap, put a couple drops on it, rinse it off, and it takes about 20 seconds, hang it up to dry, and you're good to go. In the back country, same thing. You just want to be at least 200 feet away from a natural water source because you don't want to be adding any soap or urine or anything like that into a lake or a stream. I have a question. Where were you a park ranger? So I was a park ranger on the Hood Canal here in Washington State, and I did that for about seven and a half years, and then uh, got laid off from that job, and I actually worked for five and a half years as a railroad police officer, randomly enough. <laughs> yeah. Entrepreneur, police officer. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. That's awesome. And so, so Lainey, you've been at Kopari for three and a half years. I've always been very impressed by how you guys have gone to market and the branding and everything. Um, we've seen a, quite a big, big surge in beauty products since coronavirus hit. What have you seen from the Kopari angle? First off, I just want to say I love questions. So I'd love to double down on the giveaway. And if whoever wins the most questions, they'll also get like some free Kopari products. Ooh, Ooh okay. And and nice. Akula. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hey, this is this is recorded, so this is great. All right. So we got a Bob <laughs> sweatshirt. We got some Campari products and Akula. But for your question, the beauty products, yeah, we've definitely seen um while like some essentials are always this has gone up during this time. So a lot of our, our products like our deodorant and our skin hydrators, like any sort of 
like body moisturizer, those things have definitely like search as a general in beauty, those things have gone up right away. So like it kind of like went in ebbs and flows, right? So those types of essentials, like the stock up and save, those things were really hot at at the very onset of this. And then um, people kind of settled into this new lifestyle. And so then they got bored and now like DIY, um, like hair masks and face masks and these bodies at homes have really gone up in search volume. So like our coconut face mask went up with sales. So I think we just are, yeah, it's like kind of going with what people are thinking about and focusing on during the, during their time and like transferring to a different lifestyle. That's great. Yeah. If you wouldn't mind, if we can get a little bit deeper there, I think it's fascinating. Um, you know, what has historically been a bestseller and then as things have changed, what have you right. seen really surge? I'm sure there's a handful of products you're just that were maybe slow movers collecting them all out of depth at your fulfillment center. And, yeah. and now we're just flying off the shelves. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. So our coconut um, deodorant has been our number one bestseller since we launched it. And that actually has stayed true through COVID. Um, but then a few of our other products like our coconut melt, which is just our, it's our OG product. It's our hundred percent organic coconut oil that has where it had dipped off on sales has skyrocketed. And we actually went through like eight months of stock in one month and people, I guess are there a lot of things here. So we're, we're hypothesizing why, but a lot of it is like that DIY hair mask, those bodies and homes as well as like hand hydrating. So a lot of people were washing their hands a ton. And so they were looking for some different hydration options. That's great. So I want to get into the marketing angle soon, but something you mentioned here, we'd love to go in from the Kapari lens and then jump over to the Kula Cloth world. On the uh, from a manufacturing standpoint, first congrats to sell, you know, eight months of inventory in a month is always a good thing to see. Where do you manufacture and then how are you backfilling all that supply? So touching on some stuff that I don't know a ton about, but we source our coconut oil in the Philippines. And so that's where we get that product. And then we uh, manufacture here in the United States. And so the backfill has been a little bit, this is like, I literally, after this, after this, we're going into a meeting to talk about um, low inventory of some of these now top products. And so we're just scrambling and trying to get that backfilled and trying to source the components and the product. And it's great news that we went through it very quickly, but also on from an operations standpoint, it's kind of a nightmare. I bet. Anastasia, what about you? Where do you manufacture and um, create all the products? Everything's manufactured here in the United States, including the fabric itself. So we have two different protect production studios that we work with. One's in Pennsylvania, one is in Colorado. So our custom, like the artist series like this, uh, these are made in Colorado and then our stock prints are made in Pennsylvania. Okay, great. And then the fulfillment centers that you utilize with us, with Bob, which ones are you in? So right now I'm just in Grapevine in Texas. That was sort of like the most centrally located because originally most of my orders were coming from the Pacific Northwest. When I started this company, if I'm being completely honest, the first advertising I did for Kula was literally posting it to my personal Facebook page. That was it. I mean, we're talking like no clue what I was doing. <laughs> and so most the product and the company itself has grown almost completely organically. And because I am pretty active in the outdoor community here in the Pacific Northwest, in the beginning, we had a, a very high concentration of sales here. Now it's all over the place. 
That's great. And then, so if we're going to start going deeper into the marketing side, you mentioned a lot of it was, was word of mouth. You've seen a huge surge, I know, in the last couple months. So if you could share a little bit more there on where are you seeing the surge? What are some of the interesting things you're seeing? I know that there was a question, let me, let me find it, uh, from Elena, do you sell bigger ones for dogs? Um, I'm sure you're getting some pretty interesting questions that you weren't expecting a few months ago. So what, what are you seeing there? Yeah, you know, and we actually, so I actually have designed a larger Kula. It's not on our website yet. I'm actually also in the process of designing a little bag using our special antimicrobial material that will actually help people carry trash off of the trails. That's one of the big issues is people just leave bags of dog poop everywhere because they don't have anything that they want to put them in to carry it off the trail. So I'm getting all sorts of new product ideas and people are really excited about finding ways to live more sustainably. And I think that's a a shift and also really exciting at the same time. So our March sales were more than our November and December sales combined. So that's like all of Christmas for us. And we're a relatively small company. So it was a huge surge of orders, which for us is a big deal because getting inventory and trying to figure out how to scale things very quickly when you aren't necessarily prepared for that uh, has been a, a fun challenge to have. How did you approach that? How were you able to tackle that? Well, what's really interesting is, and I have a very sort of, I would say a pragmatic woo approach to entrepreneurship where I really believe that things are happening for a reason. And last year, I was sort of forced into buying a fabric order that was way out of my comfort zone. So it was a much bigger order than I would have ever otherwise placed. And I don't want to get into the details of why I did it, but it was felt... Uh, It felt exciting, but it also felt like, whoa, am I going to be able to go through this much fabric? But I really just sort of trusted it and said, okay, we've got holidays coming up. Like, I'm going to need this fabric. Well, the holidays came and went, and we still had a lot of inventory. And then COVID hit, and all of a sudden, it became very clear to me as to why I need all of this inventory sitting there. So I had made some good decisions early on. One of the things from the very beginning too, is that I've always tried to act like cool as a big company, even when it's not. So instead of making decisions from a place of lack or fear, like, oh, I can't afford this much fabric. I just try to stay open to there's a way that I can do this. And I just have to sort of trust that path and know that all the pieces will fill in if I can sort of let go a little bit and not worry so much. Fake it till you make it, right? Fake it till you make it. <laughs> I'm going to get on motivational calls with you every week. Oh, this, this is like this. what I love more than anything. <laughs> it's like, oh, it just fires me up. I get so excited. <laughs> we have a question here from Victor. And then Lainey, I want to jump over to you for, with a handful. Um, so from Victor, how big was that order and out of the comfort zone? And you don't necessarily need to share exactly what it was, but maybe on a percentage basis, how much bigger. Yeah, well, and actually, I, d- I don't mind sharing at all. Um, so for us, you know, if you look at my product, it's a six by six product. 
So if you have an apparel manufacturer, placing an order for thousands of yards of fabric is not out of the realm of possibility. But when your product is six by six, placing an order for thousands of yards of fabric is is a pretty big deal. I mean, that's 100,000 coolas. And so the order I ended up having to place was around 600 yards of fabric, which is the equivalent of like, I don't know, 40 or 50,000 of my product, which for a small business, that's pretty big. And our fabric is relatively pricey fabric. So it was um, somewhere in the realm of five digit purchase uh, fabric order wise, which for a small company, there was definitely uh, some excitement in placing that order, to say the least. I bet. Well, hey, thanks for sharing that. And Lainey, to get into the digital marketing side with Kopari, because again, I know you guys have been around for a long time. It's something that you oversee. We've got quite a few questions here from, from Sean and Alex and a handful of other people. So first is, I believe you, you all are on Shopify or Shopify Plus, correct? Shopify Plus, yep. Okay, great. And from a marketing perspective, the question from Sean is, do you use a digital marketing firm or do you all do it yourselves? Yeah, we, we use a few different firms right now. So we have a, a firm that does all of our paid social. So they handle Facebook, Snapchat, and then we are going to start dabbling in TikTok and see how that goes. And then we have a different agency that handles right now our paid search and our display ads. Nice. Um, and, you, and you oversee all of the agencies? Yeah. So I'm the one that's overseeing the agencies. And we've pre, uh, I mean, I've been at Kopari for three and a half years, which is nothing, but really for as young a company that's only five years old, I am a, definitely a veteran. So we've, we've gone in and out with having things in house. So we had a paid, a paid media specialist in house and then have tried that and then also tried it just being full agency. So, so, we so the question that we get often is, you know, why outsource fulfillment versus do it myself? And I'm sure you think about that a lot on the digital marketing front. So if you could share a little bit of like the pros and cons that you weighed of, you know, why you should you, should you bring all digital marketing in-house and why, you, at least as of right now, you're utilizing, you know, experts on the agency front. So I think the biggest pro for using an agency is that I always try and tap into whatever they're doing with their other partners and trying to see they get like a, because when you kind of get like narrow focus into one brand, you you try things and then you don't really think outside the box if you're really just eating one trail. And then so I always just say like, hey, what are you seeing with your other clients? What are you seeing that's working? What's not working? So because we're always open to try anything. We're very much a testing mentality. So we'll try anything and heck, let's see if it works. If it doesn't, then move on to the next thing. So that's been my like, that is why I really believe in agencies and being a part of that. And then I also, we also have multiple agencies that kind of separate and do the different channels. Cause I think I get a little bit nervous when sometimes you have like all your eggs in one basket with an agency. And I rather them find people that are really proficient in one thing and let them be the experts in it and let them take the rails on that. And then I will find another agency that can do really good for SEO or for paid search it was just exactly the same reason that we have a 3PL because we don't, I don't think we're ever going to do it better than they are. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Again, we, we, we hear that a lot as well, where it's, you're not only should we be experts in this specific thing, but we're learning a lot across a very large amount of e-commerce merchants. And so you're able to take all of these learnings and, and 
you know, accelerate the innovation and the improvements even more. And that's what you're seeing here as well, because I'm sure that their yeah. clients are doing some pretty crazy it, things and you just want to steal that. It's exactly why we're dabbling now in TikTok. Like our agency is in like a beta and they were able to connect directly with TikTok. And they're one of like the first few agencies that have business access and able to get on their ad platform. So we're able to try that. Whereas if we were just doing it ourselves, I don't think we would have gotten that opportunity. Nice. And and so we'd love to get more into specific channels in a minute, but here's actually a question from Nick and Shannon's I think is related. So how do you handle the amount of creative needed across the different channels? And then with Shannon, which is similar, how do you ensure consistency? So content creation is always an issue. It like they channels just constantly need content to be pumped out. And so we this we have tried in-house and nowhere near the amount of like just volume can get out the door if and then now we have the agency that we're using for paid social which is mute six which i know somebody else asked they have their own in-house creative and it's been like a game changer for us because they can turn around just little like nuggets of content that if like we just think of an idea on a call and they're able to pop it out and they're able to like animate it so that it really works well on Facebook because they really like the movement. Um, that was our number one need. And they have been able to help us with that. And they, I will always use out, like outsource that because they just, if I have multiple people working on content and they can really like keep up with the demand for sure. And then, so the other question about consistency is something that Kopari has gone back and forth with. So when it was in-house with our marketing team, there was a lot of players making opinions and decisions about what's going out the door because we really wanted to be Kopari branded. But sometimes that's not necessarily what translate and what's works on some of these channels. I think you have to be a little bit flexible. What we've learned is we have to be a little bit flexible with consistency and like on brand messaging. Cause sometimes Facebook, if an ad works and it doesn't look completely on brand, do you, we have the conversation about, does that really matter? Because more importantly, we, we want to see some efficiency and, and we want the channel to be successful. And then the question here, you might not want to share this, but from, from Sean and somebody else asked as well, what's the budget for marketing each month? And then maybe if you won't share the specific budget, how you kind of carve up how you spend across the different channels, you know, like you mentioned yeah. Google, Facebook, et cetera. While I don't have a, like a specific number for the budget, we are, Based on the current macro environment, we've we've pulled back on all of our spend. So anything that wasn't really efficient for us. And so we do a lot of direct direct response ads. So we're really looking for that sales conversion versus any sort of like brand awareness. And we've gotten really tight on our ROAS goal. So we actually have a 1.7 ROAS goal, which has been a bit of a shift to change because we just really need to see that payback on the customer. Yeah, it's about 80% of our total spend across all the channels just because it's, it's damn good at finding those audiences and, and working for us. And I think what you mentioned with the agency, in terms of an example also of utilizing an agency, and an agency is not the best solution for everybody. You guys mm -hmm. are spending more than, let's say, Kula or maybe others. <laughs> but it's so easy to become distracted by you know, the new cool channel like TikTok. And if now you're spending 10, 20, 50% of your time testing this new channel, you're ignoring what's making you your money, which is 
often like just say Facebook or Instagram or something like that. But by utilizing the agency, you might be able to scale yourself well there because they do have the person in-house or the people in-house that, that will help optimize that channel and test that out. And then if it does start to hit some scale or drive strong ROI, then you can kind of double down there. So from Tim, how did you find your the agency you were looking for, uh, Lainey? I'm sure it was trial and error for a few months, but how yeah. did you approach that? So for this new agency, Mutix, which we have only been with them since the beginning of the year, we were really looking for somebody that had in-house creative as a part of their portfolio, which is a little bit harder to find. And then word of mouth. I'm in a bunch of different, we just like take these webinars and different like Slack groups and Facebook groups that we're in. And we just always ask for people's testimonials and advice about agencies that they're using. And I think there's something nice about also being open to looking at different agencies after a while. We were with an agency for a few years and it felt like it was, um, we just lost that like drive and that newness that of like thinking of new ideas. And so it was time for us to move. And so while they might not be a bad agency, it just was time for us to move on and try something new and different. You kind of get a fresh pair of eyes and a fresh pair of minds to think about, you know, the problems that you face every day. Nice. And so Anastasia, let's jump back into the supply chain and then we'll probably get back into marketing again. So a question from, I apologize in advance, Vinayak, how effective was is a 3PL partner in saving on shipping costs? And maybe you can talk about the time-saving element as well. Yeah, I think the time-saving element for me is is sort of priceless. At the point where I switched over to using 3PL, just to sort of paint the picture for everybody, I was on vacation in Death Valley with an inventory of Kula cloths in the back of my car, my label printer, my laptop sitting outside of a Denny's in Pahrump, Nevada, trying to print labels and get to a post office. So I hope that paints this sort of this like ragged entrepreneur picture there. So that was sort of the rock bottom for me where I realized that very fortunately, the business was growing too quickly for me to be able to sustain any sort of a personal life whatsoever. And I also realized that if the founder of a company is spending her day packing envelopes, then there's a lot of much bigger picture things that aren't getting done and that I'm ultimately preventing the growth of my company. I sort of jokingly would say that I didn't think that the CEO or the founder of Nike was stuffing shoes and boxes and packing those. So even though I sort of was in this fledgling stage, I tried to be open to thinking about growing. So for me, the time savings has been huge. I got my life back. And the, to me, that was the, the most value. Shipping a cooler cloth is not an expensive product to ship. So uh, shipping wise, it's been great, but getting my life back is something that I can't really put a value on. That was great. I would love a video of you in that situation in <laughs> Death Valley, hoping that your computer doesn't melt. Uh, oh, it was it was pretty bad. And I, I did get a few messages from people saying, why is my Kula shipping from Nevada? <laughs> I had to explain that. <laughs> That's awesome. So here's a question from, from Alex. Do you sell the same product on Amazon? I believe that was for Lainey, but for Anastasia, let's start with you. 
do you sell solely through Kula, your Kulukwap website or how? what are the other channels that you sell in? Yeah, so we sell mostly through our website. So it's mostly direct to consumer. But what's also kind of fun is that we do custom Kulas for other people like artists or we have a, there's a company called Garage Grown Gear and they're an online retailer and they design their own custom Kula. So there are a few retailers that sell their own custom designs of our product on their websites, but primarily we're working directly with the consumer. And then also we're in the process of sort of slowly building up the retail side of our, our business as well. We're in a bunch of outdoor uh, gear stores right now, uh, some little gift stores. I really don't try too hard on that side of things. I probably get a few new wholesale customers a week without trying, and that's going great for me right now. So <laughs> we're in the process of hopefully going to be in some much larger outdoor retail stores pretty soon as well. That's great. And then Lainey, what about you all at Kopari? Our channel is responsible for Amazon and then our direct-to-consumer on Koparibeauty.com. But then we have another team that handles all of our retail. And so we sell to some of the big providers like Sephora and Ulta, Nordstrom, Free People. How do you, and, and some of this might be outside of what you focus on primarily, but maybe even just between your core website and Amazon, how do you decide which products to sell on which channels? And, and then how do, you, how do you view Amazon as a complement to your core website? So Amazon, um, definitely different buyers on there. And we know, we can't quite quantify this, but we absolutely know that there are some people that probably find our website and find our product, but then um, end up purchasing on Amazon, that Amazon Prime business is like successful for some reason. So uh, they really, a lot of people love to go and shop on there. So they'll search for our product and our best sellers, the coconut deodorant. And then same thing goes for on Amazon. It's just, it was like the number one selling deodorant for a while. And then we got a lot of competition on there, but um, we just kind of let Amazon, we we typically allow D to C or coparibeauty.com to have the lead on the products. We have it up for about three months. And then we typically add it to our Amazon catalog just like an internal decision that we've made. You said that you, you will launch a product on Kopari and for more or less three months, it will be sold exclusively there and then you'll add it to Amazon? Yeah, not including the retailers. The retailers also get it at the same time that we do, but um, what we do give ourselves a three months lead for Amazon before it goes on Amazon. Okay, that's awesome. And then I will say that Amazon is a great way. There's a lot of our products that we don't sell well on our site have done well on Amazon. Just, I think, a different set of buyers and different types of things that they're looking for. That's interesting. I wonder if that's maybe there's more general search volume for some of those for some of those items. And a lot of the kits too, like a value kits that they've Amazon really likes, Amazon buyer really likes. And then just to be transparent, a lot of our holiday kits that run their course on our site actually sell throughout the entire year on Amazon. They just don't care about, we have like a kiss me under the mistletoe kit that people still buy in January, February, March that just aren't worried about um, the holiday messaging on the product. Interesting. Probably be some interesting psychology stuff to dig in there. So question, <laughs> question from Alex, from a profitability standpoint, which is more profitable, Amazon or Shopify? Shopify. <laughs> Short and sweet. I like it. 
And then for Patty, <laughs> how do you split advertising and maybe, uh, and I might add this question too, how do you split advertising, your advertising push between Kopari.com and your Amazon storefront? And so I'm curious to hear how you split, not just the money that you spend to drive the traffic, but also, also time. So time, and you mean like resources internally, just like managing the store? Yeah. Yeah. So I would say my primary focus, just because there is, will be more towards coparibeauty.com. There's more value here. Amazon Wall is a great channel for us and it's been really profitable and really successful. There's something about owning a customer through, and then you're able to increase the LTV and we are able to get them in part of our loyalty program. We're able to email them. Um, so I would, looking at the business as a whole, I would rather them purchase on coparibeauty.com just because then we are able to own that relationship. So that's where we spend the majority of our time. In terms of spend, we spend on Amazon advertising as just a percentage of that business. That's how we keep the Amazon spends. And we have for COVID specifically, Amazon has gone through a lot of ups and downs in terms of like delivery time and we um, shifted. So we are FBA, which is fulfilled by Amazon, which allows us to have that prime badge, but they were taking like months to get the product to be delivered. So we did, we switched to a fulfilled by merchant on some of our products. So then that goes actually from Amazon through our Shopify store. And then we are shipping those products out to the Amazon customers from our fulfillment center. So it's been kind of a, like an up and how up and down type of thing. So we have pulled back most of our spends on Amazon. We were doing a lot of like non-branded terms. And now we are just trying to protect our branded terms. And so we've pulled back spend dramatically. Um, it's only like, like 10% of the revenue there. So, but we're still seeing success. We're trying to pull spend to really focus on what's working, what's efficient. How did you handle customer communication on those FBA orders when it was taking months to deliver? We just saw sales drop dramatically because customers get Amazon does a nice job of showing the customer upfront how long it's going to take for it to get to them. But, and FBA customers, like these prime customers are just so used to the two day turnaround that they just were, we hear it across Amazon as a whole. I know that they struggled with that. So we didn't hear directly from customers, but then Amazon has anyone who plays in the Amazon space, you know, that you win the buy box. Um, there could be a bunch of different sellers for the product, but whoever buy, wins the buy box ends up getting the sale. And so the Amazon finally changed it, their algorithm a little bit because they would always give preferential treatment to FBA because they want to fulfill the product themselves and they get the majority of the sale. But they were allowing some merchants to do like their FBM so that just because we were able to turn around and ship it quicker than they were, I think they got a big warehouse shut down in Florida that was really impacting all of their shipments. Interesting. Okay. That's helpful. So we've got some more logistics questions. And then I actually want to get back to some of the retail wholesale stuff, um, which is obviously in very interesting times right now. So a question from Alex, do you ship off to ship FBM? I know Kopari, we don't work with you guys currently, but we do FBM. With Rachel, does ShipBob have a two-day delivery option? Yes, we do. And then a question from Benayak, to both entrepreneurs, to ship internationally, I'll read the rest of the question in a minute. So something that we're actually announcing tomorrow is we now have a Canadian and a European fulfillment center. So we're really excited about that. 
and we're going to continue to expand our fulfillment network very quickly. And so we ship to every country pretty much out there already from our, our eight centers across the U.S. But again, now we have a location in both Canada and Ireland, uh, and we'll probably be adding another one in Europe before the end of the year as well. So excited to announce that. And so back to the question, do you ship internationally? How does your 3PL help, help you optimize cost of shipping there? And how do you manage customs from shipping internationally as well? And so if you guys want to take this even more broadly, just on how you manage um, international, um, that'd be great. So Anastasia, you want to start with you and then we can jump back over to Lainey? Yeah, we, I mean, we ship internationally all over the world. Uh, things have been a little bit interesting over the last few weeks, I would say, with um, especially orders going to like Australia. That has been slightly interesting with just delays. But honestly, there is no difference like on my website. I don't have to really do anything special through ShipBob in order to ship internationally other than make sure that my tariff numbers are updated and all the information about the product is in there. Otherwise, ShipBob handles everything for me. So it's really seamless. And actually the price that ShipBob charges to ship internationally is less than if I would print up a USPS label and do it myself in my personal office. So there's that. Awesome. And, and Lane? Yeah. yeah, we, um, Kopari used to ship to just, we haven't done a full like translating services or translating for currency. So we were shipping to Australia, Canada, and the UK. But because just as Anastasia was just mentioning, we actually turned that off and we are temporarily not shipping because it's gotten like crazy expensive. And then also for the customer, it's taking much longer. I was just talking with a colleague about it and they said that it's because the commercial, there's less commercial flights that are flying. So they're unable to get the products internationally. And so just to save on customer inquiries, because they just, it was taking weeks for the product to get to the customer, we've turned that off. We actually turn off expedited shipping on our site just because we were not able to hit those deadlines. And we just don't want the expectations of the customer that they're going to get their product in a certain time frame. And it's just unpredictable at this moment. Nice. And then here's a question from Paul. And Lainey, you all might have some stuff here. I'm not sure what you, what you do from an influencer standpoint, but how do you approach influencer marketing? What's worked well? What hasn't? What surprised you the most? God, I feel like influencers is just... A mixed bag. Um, <laughs> there's a company that we look to a lot for inspiration and they use influencers all the time. And we have hypothesized and it's not fair to say if you see a company doing something necessarily, they see success, but they've been doing it for a really long time. So we're guessing that they're seeing success with it and they play in the influencer space a lot, a lot of micro, a lot of these big guys. And we have been working on it for a while. It's just, hard for us. I'm not sure what it might be, but we just haven't been able to find an influencer because we're also, as I was mentioning earlier, we're very much direct response. So we're looking for this conversion for a sale. Some influencer plays are just going to be about brand awareness. And if that works for your brand, then that's awesome. Um, we just haven't found somebody that really nails it in from a sales perspective. And so we're trying different things with codes and links and affiliate and we're just testing and trying over and over again. I don't have this great success for success story for influencers, but it just, yeah, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. We'll find like maybe out of 20 influencers, one that is ROI positive. And so we push a little bit more on that, but then that ends up petering out. So not, not really 
great stories about that from a Kopari's perspective. Which, which I actually think is helpful as well, because I think people are often looking for, hey, what's that one thing that's going to skyrocket my sales and I can just do that? Or, oh, influencer marketing is a thing. We can just go do that. But it's not, it's still like the very much the wild, wild west. And so a question I have for you on the influencers is, because you mentioned you you all focus more on like the direct marketing, which means you want to see ROI within that within that first purchase and within mm-hmm. that within that day or within that click. From an influencer standpoint, and I'm sure the, the conversations are all over the place, but how do they typically charge you? Is it on performance? Is it just on a post? Is it on an impression basis? How how are they trying to to charge you? For That's that? what's that was what kind of blew me away when um we started working with some influencers is that they really didn't have, they would, they, you know, influencers will reach out to you all the time saying, we want to work with your brand. And then they'll have this like arbitrary number that they want to charge like between two and $5,000 for a post. And we're always like, okay, but like, you know, we want to be able to start tracking sales and just see how you're doing it. And they like, even influencers with agents, they just didn't have good solutions here and they didn't really seem to understand that side of it but like for them it's just so easy i think some brands just will pay and and don't really necessarily look to see how that impacts their sales and so we really tried to dig deeper we've tried different things like with links that we're able with utm parameters to be able to track sales we've done coupon codes um but those inevitably get like linked leaked out to these um these coupon sites so that's been a struggle um affiliate has been one of the avenues that we've been looking at right now and so it's interesting to instead of just paying a flat fee for somebody to post we're we're approaching them saying that they'll get commission on their sales so it's a little bit of a um a lot of like these big influencers won't play in that game at all because they can make money just posting but some of these like micro ones are able to we're able to start there and then they can prove out that they're successful and in getting people to the website and to buying that's that's great i think another good thing there is you you know a lot of people i think will look up to a kopari or kula and, and really want that's that's their aspiration to get to where you all are and, and everything looks rosy and smooth sailing from the outside and it never is no matter never. how the company's running and you have to take a lot of bets and of course you can minimize your risk but you have to make some bets and try some new things to see what works or else you'll never know and so whether it's influencer and also just because something doesn't work today doesn't mean it won't work in the future. And maybe the approach of the person was wrong. And so, or the messaging or the product or the timing. And so just something to think about. Yeah. And then Anastasia, it seems like my guess is you're the biggest influencer on the Kula brand. <laughs> yeah. You know, so Kula is, Kula is just this weird anomaly where I have these social media influencers who like advertise for my product without really me having to ask them to do so and I don't have to pay them. So they've become friends. I guess one sort of woo piece of advice that I would love to give everybody is that you can always find the feeling of where you want to go and like what you want your business to look like you can find that feeling now. And so what I've tried to do with Kula is that even when I was having one sale a day, I would sit there and this just probably makes me sound a little nuts, but I would sit there and feel the feeling of like all the thousands of orders that I would someday get, like knowing that those people were out there and knowing that there was a way to reach them. 
and not needing to know how that was going to happen. And I really just like felt the feeling of it and was just totally okay right there. Like it was just felt so good to me that this was all going to happen. And then along the way, I've just watched as the things that I envisioned in the very beginning actually started to unfold for me. So, I mean, I even wrote onto a board, you know, like hiking celebrities using Kula cloth. Well, that happens. I mean, that really happened. I, I wrote, you know, essential piece of gear on a board. I wrote Kula in REI and I would just sit there and like find the feeling of it and never need to be somewhere different than I was. And I think that is a, I feel like in business, we're always looking at where we are and wishing that we were somewhere different. And I think that if we could find the feeling of where we want to go right now, then we're raising up our energy to the frequency of all these crazy ideas that are going to start to come to us. I mean, today I literally launched something called the Kula Academy and we're like, doing classes and getting people involved. We did an online Pictionary game last week for people. So we're doing all these like fun, crazy things. If you looked at our Instagram, you would probably laugh because it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, so I, I just would really encourage people to sort of like have fun wherever they are. And even if you aren't, you know, I'm not even remotely close to as big as where Kapari is. You know, I hear her talking about like having marketing agencies and I'm just like, oh my gosh, it's like literally me and my sister <laughs> like doing posts on Instagram. But that's just where we are right now. And that's fine. And I love hearing stories about people who are really successful and knowing that that's all coming for Kula too. So, yeah. I love that. As Nick wrote, he says he's ready to run through a brick wall. So, uh, <laughs> and I think something you nailed there that I try to do a better job of all the time is just enjoying where you are at that point in the journey. Cause a lot of these times you're going to look back on and just be so proud of or smile on or laugh at and be, or be like, what the heck were we doing then? It's how it's going to get you to that next phase. You guys are you guys are honestly lucky that I haven't cried yet on this call. Like when I think about where I was a few years ago, which was a very negative place, and then I just look at I mean just even being on this call with all of you is like a miracle to me. So, um yeah, it's take stock of where you are and just wake up every day and if you can I'm going to give Nick another brick wall to run through here. If you can wake up every day and feel like you won the infinity lottery of life, like everything's possible. Like I seriously, I wake up every day and I'm like, I won the infinity lottery. There's like infinite things that could happen today. And I just, am going to be open to them. So I'm going to make sure I just, uh, I clip this right here. <laughs> <laughs> just listen to it every morning. Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to have to. So I'm going to, not get my own way and that means i'm not going to ask really any more questions because i think that's a great way for us to get into our always our last question but before that i appreciate anastasia you laney nick thanks for putting this together everybody in the audience for joining us we're here every wednesday we're going to mix things up a little bit we're going to actually have our ceo drew join us and we've got a lot of great announcements coming and our chief logistics officer todd builds who is this tall, intimidating, 
operations guru who will hide behind a screen. And so you can all ask whatever questions you want. But last question I have for you all, Anastasia, we'll start with you and then jump over to you, Lainey. And Anastasia, maybe you kind of already answered a lot of this, but what is your number one piece of advice for everybody else, you know, dialing in today? My number one piece of advice is to focus on how you feel because that's what you're going to attract into your life. And there is nothing more important to me than every day that I wake up and I ask myself, like, what state of receiving am I in today? And if I start my morning off by instantly going into worry and fear, I know that the things that come into my life are going to match that. I think things like meditation or appreciation or gratitude are things that people sort of say, well, I don't need to do that. I just need to like get right in there and fix a problem. And it's those little things where you're deliberately and intentionally choosing the energy that you're putting out into the world that dictates what comes back to you and then give a lot. So I think right now there's a lot of people who are experiencing a lot of fear and they're contracting. And I think that that's taking them out of the flow. And so even when it might feel a little bit uncomfortable to you, it doesn't have to be big. Just keep giving and being of service to others and be kind. Uh, I love that. Lainey? Yeah. Well, this is my piece of advice and it's going to sound so much more boring after that one, but... but um, Mine would be to test. Testing, this is a little bit more business specific, but testing has been the our like lifeline on Kapari. It's been something that I've just found complete joy in and success in on from a business perspective is we are just try things and test them. And you're gonna hear advice from a bunch of different brands and like they like you touched on earlier, they they probably maybe don't know what they're doing. And it, but it also maybe works for them, but it doesn't work for you. So we have like a testing platform that we've been using and we will A-B test all the time. Basically every send, everything on the site has been tested um, and just let your customers tell you what they want and what they need and what works for them. Completely agree. And just because somebody does something doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And you never know until you try it. So again, Anastasia, Lainey, really appreciate you taking the time. This was awesome. Um, this was so fun. Thanks yeah. for having me. This was very yeah. fun. This is, this is awesome. And I'll follow up with the winter, winners. Uh, it looks like Sean, Rachel, and Vinayak. Uh, I have to double check because there's way too many questions that came in, and I mixed up a couple of Rachels. So I need to make sure. But <laughs> this is great. We'll follow up with you guys with a cool cloth, some Kapari products, and uh, the infamous Bob sweatshirt as well. Oh. I want to see that next time. Somebody come on on stage with their Bob sweatshirt too. So. But yeah, definitely thank you everyone. And I'm not sure if Casey you want to finish off with anything else, but yeah, thank you. Thanks for having us, guys. Yeah, yeah, thank thanks you everyone. so much. Bye. So fun.